Hello and thank you for listening to Author Chats, a Quarto Group podcast featuring conversations with authors, editors, illustrators, and more. I'm your host, Mel Shewitt, and today is an extra special day because I'm talking to both the author and the illustrator of A Natural History of Fairies. Emily Hawkins is a writer and editor of children's books for all ages. She wrote the New York Times bestseller Oceanology, as well as several other titles in the Ology series, which has sold over 16 million copies worldwide. She holds a first-class English degree from Nottingham University and now lives in Winchester with her young family. Jessica Rue is a Nashville-based illustrator and plant and animal enthusiast. Using subdued colors and rhythmic shapes, she renders flora, fauna, food, and many other things with intricate detail, reminiscent of old-world beauty. A Natural History of Fairies is her first book. Featuring a gold foil, embossed cloth cover, a ribbon marker, and sprayed gold edges, A Natural History of Fairies is filled with colorful sketches and precise notes detailing the secret life of fairies and their important role in the natural world. Let's chat with Emily and Jessica. Jessica, thank you so much for taking time to chat with me. We're we're chatting all across the world right now. It's so great to have you guys on the podcast. It's so nice to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be talking with you. So let's go ahead and have you guys start by introducing yourself. And we'll start with Emily. Can you give us just a brief introduction to who you are? And I would love to know how you got the idea for this book in particular. I didn't actually start out as a as a writer. Um, I worked for a long time as an in-house editor of children's books, um, and I edited loads of non-fiction books on science and natural history. So that's where the sort of non-fiction background comes from, really. For about six years, I was working for a company called Templar Publishing, um, and they produced the Ology books, which I think are published in the States by Candlewick. And there, they include books like Dragonology, Egyptology, Oceanology. Um, and I was so lucky, I think, at that kind of quite early point in my career um, to be one of the editors on that series. So that's where, I guess, yeah, you could say I learned all about um, what lovely things can happen when you blend fact and fantasy together. Then after having kids, I moved away and went freelance um, and that's when I started doing more writing projects as opposed to purely editing. So, yeah, in the last few years, I've worked a lot for Quarto. Um, I've written a few books in the Atlas of Adventure series. Um, and, yeah, the idea for fairies, actually, it wasn't mine at all. Um, it was actually the idea of Rachel Williams, who was the publisher at Francis Lincoln um, a few years ago. And she thought that the time was right for this kind of scientific book about fairies. And yeah, we'd worked together previously at Templar. So luckily for me, she gave me the call to write it. And I was just so excited because it's such a dream project for me, you know, bringing together all of that natural history background, but with this kind of real creative slant. And I'd never really worked on anything quite like it before. So it felt really exciting. And then getting to work with Jessica was just amazing. I feel like it was a real privilege, Jessica. And uh, when I first saw the layouts, and um, you'll remember this, I, I was just totally blown away. And I remember emailing Jessica saying, 
uh, I feel like I've been tucked away in my study for months on end, kind of getting into this world of fairies. And it feels quite, you know, it felt quite sort of solitary at the time. And then you look at the layouts and, you know, it was just suddenly clear that Jessica had been doing exactly the same thing. And, you know, it was so nice to feel like we were in it together. And it was just so lovely to see those fairies brought to life in such a beautiful way. Well, thank you both so much. That means a lot to me. Yeah, it was really a dream project. Um, any kind of kids book that I get to work on, that would be a book that I would have wanted as a kid is really such a privilege to be able to get to create and work on. So I'm a freelance illustrator and I primarily draw things like plants and animals, like a lot of natural kind of things, lots of more subdued colors, like less bright and colorful and more kind of an antique old world kind of feel. Um, and so I got an email asking if I was interested in illustrating a natural history of fairies. And I was like, of course, yes, that sounds incredible. Um, it really is just a lot of my interests combined. I love storytelling and fantasy um, and then the fairies are so focused on nature and the environment um, and interacting with animals and plants. And so it was really just kind of a perfect fit for me and really just an honor to get to work um, with Cordo and with Emily. Um, it was really just amazing. I loved her descriptions of the fairies and just they really seemed like real little characters to me. And so it really wasn't much of a challenge to get to bring them to life because it was just, it it seemed really natural to be able to translate, you know, sort of her ideas and um, our designer and editor's ideas and sort of bring them to life and see, kind of translate what was in my head onto paper. That's a great segue for us. Let's talk about the process of creating the book. And we'll go, we'll go ahead and start with Emily on this question. You sort of touched on this a little bit when we first started talking, but you sort of went from basically like straight nonfiction to something yeah. I have to call a little more magical. So how did your research process change? And I would love to hear about any of you know, maybe the challenges that you encountered and. Yeah, along sure. Um, well, it was, as you say, it was really different. And at first, it was quite daunting, actually. Like you say, when you're used to working on nonfiction books, the research process is quite straightforward. So, you know, you put in the time, you read around your subject, and then you, you know, present it in your own way. But with this project, you know, you're sort of sitting there looking at a blank sheet of paper, knowing that there's this pressure to be, you know, creative. And it is a bit intimidating. But I did find that the way in for me to the, you know, the world of the fairies was to begin from the areas that I was comfortable with. So with the nonfiction stuff. Um, so I'd start by researching a particular habitat that fairies might live in. And I'd find out all about the real plants and animals that live in that habitat. And then it became so much easier to imagine what species of fairy might live there too, you know, what they might look like or how they might be camouflaged or what adaptations they'd have that would help them survive in the wild, that sort of thing. And once I got into the swing of it, I found the whole process really liberating actually to work in this new way with, you know, that sort of license to be creative. It was, yeah, it was really fun in the end. <laughs> How about you, Jessica? I mean, you, you were given, again, it's sort of like this amazing blend between fiction or I, more like fantasy and nonfiction. So 
how did you sort of work to represent these nonfiction elements? Like Emily said, like camouflage and like the actual size of the fairies and things like that. How did you sort of balance things? Yeah, that was just the most fun really Um, getting to combine sort of like the natural elements and with the fairies. Um, So, you know, essentially the process starts out where I'm sent some sort of loose layouts by our designer, Carissa. And from there, I sketch sort of on top of them to see, you know, where the text would flow with the different elements. And then my process is doing a graphite pencil drawing that I color digitally, which is how I work for pretty much every project. From there, it was just sort of like looking at where the fairy would live, what kind of flower it was surrounded with, and then using sort of the elements of the flowers, like the leaves and the petals, to sort of design their clothes and, you know, what they would be interacting with. And so I had a lot of guidance, which was really great for this, because sometimes it can be a little daunting, like Emily said, when you just have a blank page and you're not sure what to go, where to go with it. So luckily I had a lot of help and a lot of suggestions as to what to do with it. And so that was really excellent and it allowed me to work pretty quickly on it as well um, in order to get that them drawn up and made and put in the layouts and everything. So that was really great. Yes, I was kind of amazed with, obviously, your level of detail is incredible, but the speed that the layouts was coming through it was just, you know, I'm very impressed <laughs> Thank that you, you could yeah. get all of that done. You just sort of do a deep dive and kind of, you know, just focus on that and not do anything else for, you know, however long it takes. Yeah, you just sort of like live in that little world and that bubble for a few days or weeks, depending on the pages that I'm working on and, you know, come out on the other side. And we had good breaks in between the batches that we were working on as well. So that was kind of nice. Yeah. Again, I'm just blown away by the fact that this is sort of a fantasy nonfiction blend. So what do you hope that children and students will take away from this book? Like you say, the book, we've presented the book as this sort of found volume written by a botanist from the 1920s. Um, And I think that gives it this sort of sense of authenticity, you know, as if what you're reading could, that you know, there's just this possibility that it might actually be real. So I think in that sense, the nonfiction style really adds to the sense of magic. And I hope it would sort of help fire kids' imaginations. Um, but also, of course, the nonfiction angle allows us to sneak in some real life biology under the radar as well. So without realizing it, while kids are reading all about this make-believe world of the fairies, they're going to be learning about Um, you know identifying particular trees and plants or seed dispersal about animal classification or you know like butterfly life cycles or the bone structure of a bird I think I like to think that the book sort of gently walks kids towards a, a scientific way of thinking if you like And as well as that, I suppose the main aspect I hope readers will take away from it is, you know, the desire to get out there in the world and explore nature and find out about the wildlife in their own area. And it seems like from the response we've had so far that that um, that is, you know, the book is getting that kind of response from kids. Um, You know, we've seen pictures of, you know, people out with the book. you know, out in nature. It's just amazing. It's everything we could have hoped for, really. Jessica, I know you made some beautiful extension activities for this book. 
Yeah, we made some fairy coloring pages and trading cards, and it was really just a lot of fun to get to do those. And absolutely, I think being outdoors is one of the best things. Obviously, my work is very nature-centric, and um, I'm outside as much as I possibly can be. And so, like Emily said, seeing those pictures of kids outside with a book looking for fairies and observing the world around them, like that is really the most special thing um, where you can look around you and, you know, imagine different worlds, different scenarios, and learn to appreciate the environment that you're living in and other environments around the world um, that you can look up online and discover that way. And I think another thing that was important to me when creating the book is that there were a lot of different kinds of fairies, that we have different skin colors, different body types, and different hair colors, and all sorts of different fairies that exist so that every kid could see themselves in the book as well. And I just wanted to quickly add that there is a teacher's guide that Emily, I know you worked very hard on, available. And you have that amazing Cordo classroom video too, where you sort of get into like the biology of fairies. Yes, that was so fun to to make. Um, Yes, a little biology lesson where kids can use the book to sort of invent their own fairy so you know think think about where they might live and what adaptations they might have and what their habitat would be and um yeah it was really fun i've i've had i've seen a few pictures of of ones that that kids have come up with (laughs) i I think we had a we had a gutter fairy which was quite cool Is there anything interesting that sort of didn't make it into the book and ended up on the cutting room floor? Yeah, there was, obviously there are a few different fairy species that we didn't have room for because you can't put everything in. Um, I remember earlier this autumn, I was kicking myself that we didn't include a conker sprite or something. You can just imagine, you know, in Jessica's artwork, a little sleeping fairy curled up inside a silky conker shell. Um, That would have been really lovely. Um, But also in the first draft I went into more detail at the end about what happened to Aunt Elsie Um, and I actually kind of did a newspaper clipping that was her obituary and uh, and luckily the editor Claire Grace at Corto um, sort of steered me away from that and I think she quite rightly thought that it was overcomplicating things we didn't need to go into that much detail and maybe it wasn't totally age appropriate as well um so yeah um like Jessica was saying when she was talking about her process and working with the designer Carissa um it's such a kind of a collaborative effort making a book like this so yeah thanks to Claire and to Carissa and and the whole team because you know they've all been fundamental to making making the book what it is I like that it sort of leaves it open-ended too. Like, don't really know what happened. Well, yeah, exactly. I just don't think you need it to be so final, do you? I agree. Yeah. Jessica, did you want to add anything to that? Um, I can't think of anything that I did that got cut. I think usually by the time the things get to the illustrator, you know, the writing has been sort of finalized and um, we have it kind of laid out on the page. I mean, obviously, having Claire and Carissa was a huge help there both wonderful and just had great ideas about sticking to more of a magical feel than a realistic one. So yeah, that was one thing that we changed around a bit, um, some of their outfits and things. But I think generally by the time it got to me, those decisions had been made, which is kind of great. It's good when you can draw something once and not have to go back and change it a million times too. Yes, totally. I think the fact that you work in the medium that you do also gives you a lot of flexibility, which is nice. 
Definitely. I can change colors super easily and move stuff around. I tend to work like a lot bigger um, than I need to. So when it gets like squeezed down into the book, we can always make things bigger or smaller, which is really helpful too. Um, so do you still do you still have all your pencil drawings? I do, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, I have two drawers of a flat file that are all um, fairies artwork. I should send you some, Emily. Oh, I totally love that. So sweet. What are you each working on now? Yeah, I'm excited. I get to talk about this now. Um, it's it's a new book for Quarto that um, I've got in the pipeline. It's called An Atlas of Lost Kingdoms. Um, and it's an atlas of sort of mythical places and lost cities around the world. So places like Atlantis and El Dorado, the Seven Cities of Gold, and lots of lesser known places as well. Um, it's so interesting to research. I'm just loving it. And it's going to be illustrated by Lauren Baldo, who illustrated I Am Not a Label. And we're not really allowed to talk about this now, but I'm hoping at some point soon, Jessica and I might have the go ahead to do another project together as well. I have so many questions that I can't know. <laughs> How about you, Jessica? What are you working on that you can't talk about? Yeah, I'm so excited to potentially be working with Emily again. We had so much fun working on fairies together. And I think we've really become friends and we can, you know, chat about it. And so that's, it's really wonderful. Um, but right now I'm working on a natural history of magic. So with Cordo. So that's so exciting. I'm thrilled to be illustrating it. I love magical things and tarot cards and you know, magic wands, familiars, that kind of thing. So it's been a blast to get to, you know, sort of go into another slightly nonfiction, but fantasy kind of world. And there's a lot of historical figures that get brought up and mentioned. So that's really exciting for me because I love that sort of walking that line, you know, between uh, fantasy and reality. So that was, it's been so much fun to work on. And I'm about I think about halfway through illustrating it right now, which is great. And I'm so pleased with how it's coming together. I can't wait for everyone to see it. Sounds so cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited about it. <laughs> I've got one final question for you. We have a lot of librarians who are listening. and I would love for you to think back to the good old days and try to remember the first book that you checked out of the library. And then I would also love for you to share what it means to you to have your, the stuff that you create available to anybody who wants to research fairies and, and learn more. Um, we'll go ahead and start with Emily just to keep the tradition going. Yeah. It's interesting that you asked this Mel, cause I was actually thinking about it the other day. Um, because I've been watching the TV adaptation of His Dark Materials by Philip Pullman. But at the moment, they're on season two, so it's The Subtle Knife. Um, and there's a scene that I saw the other day when they're in um, Chittigatse and they meet the spectres, you know, those sort of creepy ghosts who, I guess, roam around the city eating people's souls or whatever they do. And it reminded me of a book that I used to love when I was a kid, um, and I hadn't thought about it for years, um, but it, that was one of the first books that I took out of our local library. And it was called Rebecca's World. Um, I looked it up. It was by Terry Nation. Um, and I remember that the main character, Rebecca, gets transported to this faraway planet, I think. Um, and it's being terrorized by these ghosts. And you can only kill them by zapping them with these 
ghost sticks that you get from this this really rare type of of tree that you make these sticks out of and it just it all just came flooding back to me and I hadn't thought of it for years um so I tried to find a copy online but I think it's out of print so I guess I'm gonna have to go back to the library <laughs> but, um, that's amazing I know I just I really want to read it to my kids now I'm gonna have to try and track it down but yeah generally talking about um libraries and how important it is to you know have um, access to books for all kids I was so lucky when I was little because my mum was an English teacher so our house was always full of books and my aunt was a school's librarian so she kept us kind of well stocked as well and she'd um they had a, a library bus and they'd go around from school to school um, in, in the library bus. And I was just, I remember being so proud when she came to visit our school. I felt like she was a celebrity. Um, but yeah, so the fact that, that, you know, books by me are available in the library now is just, you know, it still feels like it's not really real. I guess, you know, we've all got a bit of imposter syndrome. <laughs> How about you, Jessica? Do you remember the first book you checked out of the library and what does it mean to you to have your book available now to anybody who wants to take a look at it. I called my mom to make sure that this was right, that the first book I checked out on my own um, was Charlotte's Web, um, which I don't think is all that surprising considering all the animals and plants and things that I love now really shaped, you know, my worldview. And she said I would check that book out all the time and, you know, carry it with me. And we spent a lot of time in the library as kids, my sister and I. My mom was also a teacher. And so she, we always had books around and we would just take out as many books as we could hold from the library and bring them back every week and get more. And it was just such a magical experience. And so I've spent most of my childhood reading and in the library. And when I wasn't there, I was outside. And so it's just... Now it's just really the most amazing thing that, you know, kids around the world can go to the library and find a book that I've illustrated. It's really just an honor. And I hope kids are really going to love this one, too, because it's so special to me. And it's everything that I would have wanted in a book as a kid as well. So it's just really a very cool thing to be able to, you know, go to my local library and see it there and see kids enjoying it. Thank you again so much to both of you for, I mean, like I said, we're spanning a couple different time zones here. So thank you for arranging this and for being able to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. That was fun. Thanks so much. I think that was a lot of fun. So much for listening to Author Chats. A Natural History of Fairies is available worldwide, so please visit your favorite bookstore, library, or online retailer to find a copy for you and your readers. Enjoyed what you heard? Tell your friends. Share our podcast far and wide with colleagues by suggesting they subscribe to Author Chats on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever they listen to podcasts. And we'd be so grateful if you left a review so others can enjoy the podcast too. Special thanks to Scott Holmes for our theme music.